Today on CityCast Boise, in our final send-off to this week's election, Morning Edition's George Prentice is with me to shed light on things that went under the radar. Plus, we wonder whether results out of little old Boise could be an indicator for the 2024 presidential race. Then, we nerd out about movie and book recommendations for the next couple of weeks, and we have some news from the CityCast Boise team. It's Friday, November 10th. I'm Blake Hunter, and this is what Boise's talking about. Good morning, George. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Hi, Blake. So before we get started, I wanted to give an update from the team at CityCast Boise. So our host uh, for the past year, Emma Arnold, has decided to move on from the show. And anyone who knows Emma loves her. I feel so lucky to have been able to work with her in ways that I feel like I'm just beginning to 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 appreciate. Um, and so she's just been an amazing colleague. And I'm excited to be just be able to be friends with her Uh moving forward. So we are going to be hiring for a new podcast host um, in the next few weeks. But in the meantime, we're going to be publishing fewer podcast episodes starting next week. Uh, They'll be coming out on Tuesdays and Fridays. I'll be guest hosting a bunch of them. Our audio producer, Evelyn, will also be jumping in the host chair, which is exciting. And we'll have information about applying um, up on our website and we'll include link in the in the show notes. We'll be talking about that. But yeah, uh, sad, but also very happy to to be sending Emma off. Um, and I'm sure I hope that everyone, including you or George, will wish help join me in wishing her all, all the best uh, in whatever's next for her. And much love uh, to know Emma professionally or personally. Love usually uh, comes right to the top uh, of mind. And Emma absolutely, yeah. uh, you know, was a star. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, I feel. I came into this job with just no audio experience, but I feel like I learned so much from her in how to how to yeah carry yourself as like uh, just such a good community member and also like wanting to hold your city accountable, but coming from a place of love. So yeah, we wish all the best to Emma. We love you, Emma. I, I hope you're listening. Um, I didn't cry. I didn't cry for this. So I cried for Salmon, but not for you. So I hope you know you know where you stand. Um, Just kidding. Okay. So moving on, we've got some more election kind of final thoughts to wrap up. We've been talking about it uh, for for many months now. There are a few big things that I think we need to talk about. So first off, I want to jump into, depending on who you ask, the legislature implemented the the citywide district by district um, election base for city councils to either make Boise's uh, city leadership more conservative, or it was just to make the process more democratic, right? Um, And I think it was a little bit of both, ultimately. So do you think that that analysis is correct? And also, just how do you think that this new system, for the first time, actually played into the election outcomes? No one that I know of at City Hall asked for this. Um, Indeed, this was the legislature's doing, which is to say the GOP majority of the legislature's doing, um, to have uh, to put their thumb on the scale, if you will, and uh, to slide some representation over. So interesting, Blake, because I remember Boise City Council being a hybrid where indeed there were some districts, but there were also at-large seats. And that seemed to work. Oh, yeah. Several years ago, they just decided to make them all at-large. Now they are all just per district. We'll see how this shakes out. I have no doubt that there will be some 
uh, political sway in the future. That said, you know, this slate of candidates that, that, that emerged victorious are, number one, very familiar, and number two, mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say that most of them are supporters of the mayor, most of them. And yeah, it's it's interesting the whole whether Boise uh, politicians wanted this or not. But I mean, I was talking to Jordan Morales, and uh, who's the now the District Four representative, and was just thinking about you know we now have another like Latino on the city council, mm-hmm. um, which is the first like per- person of Latin American heritage since uh, Lisa Sanchez. And so, I mean, I'm excited. It's it's we need to have that kind of voice on on city council or in city leadership. I think chances are, you know, if if he hadn't run or if the districts hadn't been split up like that. Um, it probably would have been another, you know, rich white North Ender to take that place, to be honest. This is round one of what will be many rounds of this district by district system. So we'll we'll see how it plays out. A number of these seats that were on the ballot this year, those terms will only be two years. So basically, they wipe the yeah. slate this year. They select mm-hmm. half and half, if you will, so that some will be back on ballots four years from or two years from now, and then the 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 rest will be on four years from now. So so it will stagger. So we could see a shift as early yeah. as two years from now. We like to think that voters and candidates are capable of diversity, but more often than not, right. you do have to disrupt a system to be more diverse. It's it's that simple. Looking forward to, as you mentioned, 2025 elections, there's one there's one little election in between then and now, uh, which is uh, the 2024 presidential election. Whether we like it or not, in a year, we're going to be uh, probably still counting counting votes and whatnot. What did this this election this week tell you about how that election might play out? I think it it's not too far of a reach to connect some dots uh, between the national political landscape and what we did experience this week. And it has to begin with access to abortion services. We saw a number of races in Ohio, in Kentucky, and Virginia that were defined in many ways by people having a say and uh, pushing back against the Dobbs decision. And then here in Boise, Let's let's think through this election season. I think a tentpole moment was the city club debate when the mayor was asked about previous comments regarding abortion restrictions. And the mayor, if you remember this, Blake, the mayor doubled down and she said, absolutely, in sync with mm-hmm. what she thought were the values of the city, she questioned prioritizing Boise police efforts to investigate and or arrest caregivers and or women who are trying to access abortion services. Um, and she said, you bet. I'm not, I'm not going to back off from that. As a matter of fact, uh, let me reiterate yeah. that. And Mike Masterson doubled down and said, no, I don't think that that's the role of a mayor. And, and he reiterated that a few times during the campaign. Keeping in mind that Planned Parenthood's Political Action Committee endorsed the mayor and, by the way, endorsed every successful candidate in the city council races. So 
Um, and Planned mm -hmm. Parenthood was very quick to send out a self-congratulatory message on election night when yeah. Mayor McLean and each yep. of the council members um, were victorious, saying, yeah, this, this is a statement. Does Boise influence a national political landscape? Of course not. But it could it be representative of what's happening across the country? I think so, because... If you look at the Ohio election, Virginia election, et cetera, we know that while the abortion debate may be polarizing, it is no longer partisan. This is crossing party lines. Yeah. Otherwise, we would not be seeing these votes. The fact is, is that we know Lauren McLean is, is a proud Democrat. We know also that there were more than a few Republicans who voted for her with, without without pause this week. So I, mm -hmm. I think it's a really interesting indicator, if you will. Rachel Spachek and I talked on the podcast yesterday about, you know, looking at District 3, what are some of the possible answers for what pushed Kathy Corliss over, uh, you know, just 15 votes over the more conservative option in that district, Josh Johnson, which, you know, the, uh, you, know you had two pretty... Um, a bit more Democratic-leaning candidates in Corliss and Teresa Vodder. So if one of them hadn't been running, maybe, you know, the, the victory margin would have been larger. But, I mean, what Corliss did have was a Planned Parenthood Alliance Advocates endorsement. Mm -hmm. And it is really, yeah, I, I'm, I've got to, you've got to wonder how much that plays into it. I'm wondering if we're finally seeing a bit of, yeah, some of, some of, there's been so many, conservative choices, whether on the Supreme Court side or even just in the state of Idaho, mm -hmm. with the, the legislature moving so far to the right and getting so conservative, where Boise has been on the defensive for so long, nation, nationally Democrats have been on the defensive the last few years. And so I'm wondering if maybe the, this this spell is a little bit over, or at least there's going to be more pushback. Um, again, you, as you said, indicator, that's not a predictor for anything. Um, but it does make you wonder. And so we'll be looking at that going into next year. If you think of it, when you put abortion initiatives on a ballot, it drives turnout, right? It really drives up turnout. And that's why in a number of battleground states, they are already thinking about putting initiatives on next year's ballot. I don't mm -hmm. think it's a huge stretch to think that there might be a petition effort to make a ballot initiative in the state of Idaho. A lot of people would have thought Medicaid expansion, there's no way that that would ever make it to a ballot, let alone pass. I wouldn't put it past mm -hmm. uh, a well-organized effort to at least try a petition drive to put that on the ballot. Former Lieutenant Governor candidate, Democrat Terry Pickens Manweiler, who ran a couple of years ago, has said that she um, she was going to be working on that kind of initiative. I haven't seen much of an update since then, but I, I agree that you're right. I wonder if that's a good tactic for, for getting the vote out in Idaho. We'll see what happens there. We know that there are more than a few moderates who feel strongly about this issue and traditionally may not even vote. But on this one, yeah, they'll show up. Young people, too. I mean, we're seeing uh, increasing voter turnout, too, and like folks in my generation. But 
you know will come out to the polls to vote on that. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll be paying attention to that. But looking at uh, this week, I know you said you had some kind of under-the-radar things that you wanted to talk about as we wrap up the last part of this final uh, this election week. On election night, when I got a chance to interview the mayor, and I've talked to her on a number of occasions over the years, she said something that normally I would have just tossed away. Uh, and I think more than a few people would consider a cliche. But I was just asking her about, you know, what was the secret sauce? What was the formula of of the success of this campaign? And when she said, well, it's all about the future, and then she flushed that out by talking about housing and and diversity, et cetera, I looked across the room of her watch party. And for the first time in a very, very long time, and I'm not just talking about the pandemic, I'm talking about a long time. For the first time in quite some time, I noticed how many folks were there that were under the age of 35, that were engaged Mm -hmm. and were either volunteers and or staff, but they were into this campaign. An opponent will always push an incumbent toward their past and make them defend their past. That's the playbook. The smart move is to talk about the future, but it's much harder than it sounds. You've got to be specific. Mm -hmm. You've got to flush it out. But when you can talk about a future and you can actually talk about a goal of making sure that every person in the city is within a 10-minute walk of a park, that's very tangible, right? And that, that, is, that is a goal, that is a future, that is a vision. Or you can be the opponent of saying, well, the city's changing and we can't let it change. And, you know, this is wrong. We want right. the Boise of old, right? So you can talk about the future. Running and executing a campaign on the future is hard work, but I think that's what she did. I think you're right. I think that if you look at Masterson's campaign, a lot of the rhetoric was about this feeling of fear, looking at, you know, not wanting to become, quote, like, quote, unquote, failed uh, West Coast cities um, when it comes to unhoused people and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, meanwhile, McLean's whole uh, energy, at least, was uh, about hope for the future um, and, you know, staying in tension with the things that we need to work on. But it wasn't, it didn't have that feeling of fear, which it is a compelling force. So I'm glad that we have, uh, yeah, the election behind us. I'm excited to see new folks on city council, but mostly I'm glad to have the election behind us uh, because it is, unfortunately, time to start thinking about the legislative session, Mm -hmm. but that's for another day as well. George, you and I, we talked about upcoming movie season a few weeks ago. I have a pick that I actually can't remember if I talked about this before, but I'm going to talk about it again if I did. But what have you, what's, what's on your radar that you're wanting to go see? Well, two movies. One is going to open this weekend and one's going to open next weekend. There's a really close to the top of my list of my favorite movies of the year. And one is The Holdovers. And this comes to us from Alexander Payne, who gave us The Descendants and Sideways and Nebraska, etc. And this stars Paul Giamatti, uh, who co-starred in Sideways for Alexander Payne. And this is the best performance that Paul Giamatti has delivered. And that's saying something because he's one of our better character actors. This is an R-rated comedy 
but he is the professor that everyone hates. The faculty hates him. The students hate him. And the, it takes place in 1970. So it's a period piece. But not only does it feel like it's 1970, it feels like you're watching a movie that was made in 1970. The attention to detail on the set design and the costumes and the soundtrack, even the dialogue, is so spot on that I was thinking, I was fully expecting like a young Jack Nicholson or a, or a young Richard Roundtree to step <laughs> into the frame. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a killer soundtrack. It's got a heart, but it's got a really wicked sense of humor. I highly recommend mm. that. And then next week uh, from Taiki Watiti, uh, who gave us Jojo mm -hmm. Rabbit and the Thor movies, it's Next Goal Wins, which is the true story of the American Samoa soccer team, uh, famously known as the worst soccer team in history. It's hilarious. I'm so excited for this one. Yeah. This is a true story. One of the players, Jaya, uh, the team striker, uh, who was really the most influential person on the team, Jaya is, and I want to make sure I get this right, Fafafine, which in American Samoan culture are people who have fluid genders that move between male and female worlds, and a fabulous soccer player. So I, wow. I, I never would have known this. So all of a sudden, I wanted to do research. I found an old documentary on this, and it folds so nicely into this story of hope and change and and just this this wonderful dive into this Samoan culture, too. I'm thrilled about that one. That one looks so good. My my pick, again, I don't know if I've talked about this before. I'm pretty sure I might have, but Saltburn comes out the week after, so the week um, of, of Thanksgiving. Yep. This is kind of a Red, White, and Royal meets like Booksmart meets kind of Downton Abbey. Like it's, it's very, or like Happiest Season vibe of like someone goes to their partner's house for the holidays or whatever and finds out that they're extremely rich. Um, but then... It's directed and written by Emerald Fennell, who, if you remember, she made Promising Young Woman a few years ago. Oh, yeah. um, so it has, well, I mean, what what a movie. And so this has a lot of the, kind of those thriller elements as well. It's just incredible. I mean, just watching the trailer, the graphics of it are incredible. I'm so excited about the soundtrack. So I'm pumped. I'm I'm pumped for all three of those. So I guess I guess I'll be at the movies every weekend for um, at least the end of November and probably all of December as well. <laughs> There's some good ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know that you also had uh, had some book news for us. What have you got? I do. So I was honored to spend some time with Lydia Conklin this week. Lydia Conklin is the author of Rainbow Rainbow, which is a breakout uh, collection of short stories. And they are extraordinary. They are coming to uh, Boise State a guest of the Boise State MFA Creative Writing Program. Lydia Conklin mm. is an author that most of us will probably be talking about for years to come. So it was such an honor and a treat to spend some time with Lydia Conklin. And again, they are uh, heading to Boise State, and they will participate in a book signing and reading Friday at the Hemingway Center. It is free on the campus of Boise State. This is a really big deal. If Lydia Conklin is not on your list of, of must-read authors, uh, they absolutely have to be. And one, one more uh, note, a literary note, if you will. The uh, Christine Madrid French is the author of Architecture of Suspense. 
She is an historian and a film nut, and this book is about the architecture that is in Alfred Hitchcock movies. Preservation Idaho Ooh. is hosting her Saturday, and this is going to be an event at the Shrine Social Club, and they're going to have a fashion show and costumes, etc., clips of Hitchcock movies. So we talked about those great buildings in The Man Who Knew Too Much and North by Northwest, but mostly we talked about the Bates Motel and the Bates Mansion in Psycho. <laughs> um, and yeah. uh, so really interesting, two great authors and a couple of events uh, for this weekend. Yeah, that's exciting. I've got a pick for next week, which is for um, Martha Wells. So she is an author of, uh, she's a sci-fi and fantasy writer. She's written the Murderbot Diaries, which is kind of uh, the latest book, System Collapses, what she's touring right now. And the Cabin and Rediscovered Books are bringing her to the Linen Building next week on Wednesday. I'm a huge sci-fi nerd. She's won both the Hugo and Nebula prizes, I believe, multiple times. So I And she's going to be, there's going to be a whole event with it, and then she'll be signing books and whatnot after. So if you're a sci-fi person and fantasy person, uh, you should absolutely go check her out. Yeah, I love her work too. So excited for all, all the movie and the book and the book happenings the next few weeks. Blake, I love when we nerd out about authors. Yes, yeah, it's <laughs> right. my favorite thing. I was raised <laughs> so, by a librarian, yeah. so it's it's bound to happen. Yeah, good work. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you, George. Thanks for rounding up the week. We appreciate you as always for being here. So have a great weekend. Thanks so much, Blake. I always have a great time spending uh, a few minutes with you. Awesome. Thanks so very much. Thank you. That's all for today here on CityCast Boise. The show is produced by Evelyn Abitia and Grant Irving. I'm Blake Hunter, and I write our Hey Boise newsletter with the help of Adrian Gonzalez this week. Our music is by Up Is The Down Is The. If you enjoyed our show today, leave us a review. It helps other people find us. We'll be back on Tuesday with one last treat from Emma. See you around.